0: good monday to you it's january 24th is this true I, I dropped in on the live chat before we even get started here before we officially kick things off this morning brenda chiming in there's already been a conversation going on for a few minutes here uh, with our with our, our regulars that are showing up as we stream live coming at you 8 mountain 10 30 eastern of course every weekday here on real talk brenda says today is national compliments day national peanut butter day And Brenda says, and for you, Jaspo, National Beer Can Recognition Day, does my reputation precede me? I've got some storytelling to do about a weekend in Jasper. That's going to be coming up uh, through the week, of course, including Wednesday. My Jasper memory is coming up. There will be a bit of a personal tinge to it, uh, but there's relevance to one of the, I think, most interesting stories and certainly most discussion worthy, most newsworthy stories, depending on who you talk to this week and that is the truckers for freedom convoy that's making its way across the country i'm going to share my thoughts on that and yours we've got a unofficial unscientific twitter poll underway on my profile at ryan jesperson you can chime in on that about 3800 of you have already and we're going to get to some of the emails that you've sent the comments that you've left this is uh certainly something that's lit a fire under a whole bunch of real talkers plus a little later on in the broadcast coming up in about 10 minutes Why more than a third of teachers in our home province of Alberta say they're leaving within the year. That's shocking. More than a third, 37 percent, according to recent polling, we will talk to the pollster, the researcher behind those numbers and a teacher who's retiring literally today. Today is his last day. They're going to be joining us in about 10 minutes and a little later on in the show. Ben Freeman, as we lead up to the 27th of January, International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Ben Freeman is the author of Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People. He'll join us live coming up in about 40 minutes time. This edition of Real Talk, along with every other one, is proudly presented by our sponsors at Bitcoin Well. I love this note from Lawrence. He sent us an email a while ago. He said, I, I you know, have, have been paying attention to Bitcoin Well because I've been hearing about it on Real Talk. He says, and they're oftentimes offering these bonuses or these incentives uh, to create a new account. And when you buy Bitcoin through Bitcoin Well, he says, I've heard the ad reads enough times on Real Talk that it was a familiar name. So I went through it, and it was quick verification and even quicker transaction Lawrence says, now I know where I'll go to quickly increase my holdings. Shout out to them. Bitcoin's been taking it on the chin over the past few days. If you've been paying attention, you know that it's dropping. If you're trying to make sense of, you know, whether or not that means it's a great time to buy, or or maybe it's not a time for you to get involved. You're trying to sort it out, they're taking your questions anytime, in person or of course online via their website. You can find it under the sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com.
1: Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: Wonderful weekend in Jasper. And uh, I'll be sharing some photos with you. If you were paying attention to my Instagram stories over the weekend, you probably saw as I wrote in our Real Talk Sunday message, our weekly email last night, a photo of the burger that brought me to my knees at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. We had a great day on the slopes at Marmot Basin and and just a wonderful time. And I'll tell you more about that trip coming up on Wednesday's show, My Jasper Memories, presented by Tourism Jasper. We'll share some highlights and some of the things that you've been telling me as I've been sharing photos through the weekend. I'm heading home yesterday in the late afternoon into the evening. And as I typically do, I stop in just before Hinton. If you know the Yellowhead Highway, Highway 16, Hinton is a a about 45 minutes to an hour from jasper it's about an hour from edson it's about three hours ish from edmonton west of edmonton so that's that's where this first happens the folding mountain brewery love that place my pal eric is one of the owners and i, I popped in he tells me that their mac and cheese is better now than it's ever been and so i had to investigate uh, the journalist that i am so i pop in for a quick cranberry sour and uh one of their new mac and cheeses with the bacon bits none of this is relevant to the conversation we're about to have sam but it's i just entirely I'm, relevant i'm, I'm, to I'm the trying conversation. to it, it's arguably more relevant yeah. than the conversation we're about to have um i'm happy to report that the cranberry sour paired very nicely with the mac and cheese but but i digress and so eric comes and, and joins me he's, he's behind the bar like a lot of small business owners are these days he's doing more than one job at a time and uh we start talking and he says he says boy he says uh i'll try to make this quick for you i go how come Because I was trying my best, aside from posting a few photos and having some fun over the weekend to stay off my phone. I wasn't paying a ton of attention, obsessing over the news cycle like I and many of you do through the week. I know how that goes. And he says, well, you're probably he goes, I don't know exactly when it's coming through, but you're probably just ahead of this truckers convoy. And I go, oh, right, the, the the vaccine thing, right? These are the truckers that are upset about Canada's vaccine mandate. The truckers, unvaccinated truckers from the U.S. can't come into Canada. He's like, yeah, you know, they're coming through. I said, what time? I go, I don't really want to get stuck behind this convoy. And then I start stressing out, like, is it? luckily at Folding Mountain, the meals come boom, quick. I was able to hammer this thing down. And get back on the highway, but, but it was on my radar. I'm going, okay, well, that's interesting. I keep my eyes peeled. I keep my eyes out. Nothing really through Hinton. And then as I'm getting closer and closer, it, I start seeing it. I start seeing it around Edson and then every community, almost after that, all these highway turnoffs to these small Alberta towns, communities, the highway to white court, the highway, you know, all of these sort of exits on the highway, you, you start seeing vehicles parked there. And, you know, if there's one, you figure they're taking a leak, but there's like three or five or 10 or 15, and then all of a sudden the signs start popping up, right? Truckers for freedom. You know, we want our freedom. A lot of Canada flags, you know, and this wasn't exclusive or unique to Highway 16 yesterday. Uh, We were getting reports that there were some demonstrations near Calgary and highways across the country as truckers are convoying to meet in Ottawa to essentially send a message, they say, to the federal government. Trucker convoys are kind of the way that some Western Canadians have been attempting to get the government, the federal government's attention over the past while. You probably remember a couple of them. The United We Roll convoys a few years ago, they wanted to, to send a strong message about how they felt about the carbon tax in particular. And I've done a ton of commentary and a lot of interviews and heard a lot of different perspectives on those convoys. The general consensus is that they were largely ineffective. In fact, ultimately mocked because they lacked focus and they were ineffective because they also included protests about things like the United Nations and Agenda 21 and George Soros and Sharia law it wasn't so much about just the carbon tax as a way for hundreds or even thousands of people to air their grievances about Ottawa which is part of living in a democracy. There's nothing wrong with protests. There's nothing wrong with demonstrations. You might take issues with what the message is personally, or in this case, this one, these truckers for freedom, there's huge questions around who's kickstarting it, who's organizing it behind the scenes, what's going on with this GoFundMe that's raised last I checked between two and a half and three million dollars, but it's been uh, temporarily interrupted by administrators. They're trying to figure out exactly what's going on with the money here. A lot of people are saying this is the Maverick Party, you know, like the Western separatist party. We've talked to the leader, Jay Hill, of the Maverick Party in a past edition of Real Talk. If you'd like to understand more about what makes him tick. Former high-ranking cabinet minister with Stephen Harper, by the way. Interesting stuff. There is this Western grievance, and it's quite evident with the number of people that showed up. I'd say I saw approximately... 500 vehicles i was trying to kind of keep tally keep track and once you start adding up four and then six and then you're zooming under an overpass and maybe there were 12 or 15 but i'd say 500 vehicles or so cars trucks some big rigs not a ton a lot of the uh sam what do they call those the the trucks that that go ahead of the semis when they need them like a pilot vehicle like a pilot vehicle thanks with the orange signal beacons there was a lot of signal beacon action going on a few fuck Trudeau signs, too, if I'm being honest. I mean, I don't think that's going to surprise anybody. So I wanted to know where you stood on this, because, I mean, there were some facts that are worth considering, right? The Americans, for example, have the exact same policy. Canadian truckers have to be vaccinated across the border going south. So it's not like Canada's an outlier here. There's certainly political posturing going on. Alberta's premier has been very vocal on this. He wants Ottawa, he says, to lift this mandate. He says there's going to be supply chain interruptions. And then and then the premier's top communications executive over the weekend, uh, Brock Harrison, retweeting a bunch of photos showing empty store shelves. People are saying the store shelves are empty and the liberals are OK with Canadians not knowing whether or not they're going to be able to get their groceries. And these are being fact-checked. Over the weekend, as a matter of fact, for a brief period of time yesterday, I thought it was interesting that Twitter was starting to flag a lot of these photos coming out of Alberta, Wetaskiwin in particular, uh, where the premier staff was encouraging people to, to buy into the idea that grocery stores in Wetaskiwin had virtually nothing left. It looked like Soviet era you know times where people were lining up just to get day old or three day old bread. I mean, this is what Canada looks like under the Trudeau liberal policy, right? Turns out it's not true. A quick phone call or two. People are putting it out on Twitter saying, I called the Witasco and insert big box store here and they've got lots. And, and quite frankly, if I'm one of these store owners, managers or employees, I'm probably not going to appreciate that the provincial government's chasing people away from my location, leading me to believe that there's no food there. But I digress. This is the type of thing that will get Canadians talking. Now, will it or will it not be favorable to the cause? That's the question i've put out an unofficial unscientific twitter poll and i encourage you to participate today i've left it open for 24 hours so it'll run through the afternoon when this podcast drops i said i just drove highway 16 from jasper to edmonton 500 ish cars and trucks parked in ditches on overpasses lots of signal beacons and lights some bonfires Looked like some people were having fun on the side of the road many canadian flags and a few fuck trudeau ones too we'll talk truckers for freedom convoy monday on real talk i said you support the convoy don't have no idea what's up or other as of now, there's about 3,900 votes, 3,856. 81% of you say I don't support the convoy. 11.5% of you say you do. 5% of you acknowledge you have no idea what's going on. And 2% of you have elected to choose other and you're going to leave a comment. Some people, by the way, have said that this is Jesperson's audience. Look at Jesperson's audience. They're all cracking on this democratic demonstration of angst towards the f- let me point out, first of all, this is the Internet. Anybody has access to my poll? And I'd also like to point out that I did not use a derogatory hashtag, nor am I wisecracking about this. I'm using the official Truckers for Freedom Convoy hashtag. I'm using the Canadian Polly hashtag. I want to make this available to everybody. If you support the convoy, go ahead, chime in, get your friends to chime in. That's the whole point of this. It's unofficial, it's unscientific, but it gives us a general sense of where it's at. May I point out that 81% of respondents to this point say they don't support the convoy. Generally speaking, between 85 and 90% of Canadians are vaccinated. I think that there's probably a parallel there to consider. Now, I go through the comments here. There's closing in on 150 or maybe 200 of them. So I I try to click like on the ones to sort of create a list here so I can rip through them. and, And that's what I'll do. Steve says protests are part of democracy. Too bad this one's so dumb. Holly says, with, you know, 3,500 votes and 11% support for the convoy, when I saw your tweet, it looks like about 10% of people are assets about just about any issue. Holly says, maybe that's the story. Krista says, it'd be great if we could talk safe, appropriate PPE for teachers. You know, the fact that moms are raising money to supply them without an inch of help from union school boards, or maybe oil companies that made off of their rapid tests. Krista will be happy to know that in just a few minutes, we're talking education. Penny says, I wonder how closely poll results will reflect the general vaccination rates. People who support actions which positively affect the public good will likely not support the convoy. Penny with a bullseye. Jason says, I made the drive from Jasper to Edmonton today as well. The overall numbers seemed low, but they were persistent from community to community the entire way, and it, it made what is normally a bland drive home, something that made me uncomfortable in my own province. Shellfish wonders if the premier, Jason Kenney, will enforce the protection of critical infrastructure. Travis says, the notion that a minuscule minority of truckers taking the time and money to drive these big diesels across the country because the government's oppressing them deserves to be mocked daily until every single one of them is dead which being on may not be too long travis with a blowtorch this morning kramer says i definitely don't support their reasons but i support them as long as they're not blocking stuff i guess they can make a fuss all they want as long as they follow the rules just like i support a toddler's right to express themselves via tantrum And Uncle Jemima says people are standing up for what they believe in. They're entitled to do so. If it continues, Canadians are going to start to feel the pressure. Let their voice be heard. That from Uncle Jemima. We'll continue to drop in. I've got some emails here. I'm going to read them from Lori and from Tom and Donna. Those are still coming up on the show. And of course, if you haven't chimed in yet on our unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll, we encourage you to do so. We'll talk education in in just two seconds. Right now, we wanted to tell you uh, how excited we are to be launching this campaign. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, whiskey drinkers in particular, meet Dram in a can. How cool is this? This is two stacks Irish whiskey, 100 mils of Irish whiskey. That's right. In a teeny weeny can. It's All the contents on the side of the can for full transparency. This is quality stuff. You can pick it up as a four-pack of cans or as individual cans at most shops. Uh, Two stacks, sources the whiskey from Irish distilleries and blends it themselves. You can drink it right out of the can. You can pour it over ice, or, of course, you can use it in your favorite whiskey cocktails. This is a super cool new product. Uh, In particular, you can pick it up, if you're in our neck of the woods, at Sherbrooke Liquor. and You can Google it. Dram in a can, I think this is sort of where convenience is going. Sam, there's something about showing up with a full whiskey bottle at a pond hockey tournament that that might be deemed somewhat aggressive. But the Dram in a can, how convenient for a quick dram while you're waiting for your next game. That's why we're really excited that participants at the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic, that's coming up this next Saturday. Every single one of you is going to receive a Dram in a can upon arrival. Please drink responsibly. We're also very proud to be partnered, you know this, with Local Waste. And coming up later this week on Friday, we present Trash Talk. Local Waste gives us that opportunity to blow off a little steam. I wonder if some of you might write in about the convoy to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Local Waste has been keeping it local in construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection for a quarter century. Still family-owned and growing every year. You can find them online and get your free quote at localwaste.ca. Recent polls, uh, this is shocking, friends. This is shocking. A recent poll shows that nearly 40%, 30% of Alberta teachers surveyed do not intend to return to the job next year. What? Can you imagine the implications? Trying to staff up again, what this means for the quality of education, what's prompting this, what this sends messaging wise to parents and students and teachers that haven't yet considered leaving? Uh, Dr. Phil McRae is one of the researchers involved in this project. He's uh, the coordinator for government research with the Alberta Teachers Association, an adjunct professor with the Faculty of Education, University of Alberta. And Darren Gibson's joining us today as well, a teacher who's uh, retiring literally today, uh, ahead of what he intended to be his intended schedule. Uh, Darren, why don't we start with you? This this is a big day. I mean, I I feel honored, uh, in a sense, to be able to take 15 minutes of your time on retirement day, it's also kind of discouraging and maybe a little bit shocking. You didn't plan to be leaving this early. Why are you?
2: Well, I, I think, first of all, I got to correct. Uh, I, I suppose technically this is kind of my last day, but I, I am still teaching until the end of June.
0: I see. OK, so well, you've tendered your resignation today.
2: Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be back flipping down
0: the driveway. Oh,
2: <laughs> OK, how many years have you been teaching? Pardon me?
0: How many years have you been teaching? Uh,
2: this is my 32nd year, um, and, and I've been a classroom teacher for my entire career. Just to put that into perspective, uh, when I started teaching, I think the number one song on the radio was Wilson Phillips' Hold On. Uh, so it's been, a, it's been a great career.
0: Darren, I don't um, want to make you feel old, but that's the second cassette tape I ever bought. <laughs> Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation was number one with my own money. Wilson Phillips' self-titled release was number two. So so, so there you go. How come you're leaving early? What is it?
2: Well, um, just a little background about myself. Uh, I, I actually, my well, not about myself, but my, my children, I have twin boys, Rylan and Carter, and they're in grade 10 at the school that I teach with. My plan was uh, to kind of graduate with them. I was, you know, I'm coming to the end of my career anyway. I was going to do two more years and then kind of walk across the stage with them and uh, make it, I thought that would be a really cool moment for our family. Um, But I've decided, uh, you know, I decided it's time to go this year. And uh, I I guess part of it, there's a myriad of reasons that go behind it. And it's kind of an emotional decision for me because I, I love my staff. I love the kids. Uh, I love my profession. I, I enjoy a, a great position in a great school. Um, but just things have been kind of piling up, and it's and uh, I guess the, there's been a couple of reasons. Partly, par- some of it has been, uh, of course, the pandemic and the added stress on the kids. And, you know, kids are like, a, um, I don't know, a barometer uh, for a family. And I, I, I'm pretty sure every family has been impacted to one extent or another by covid and then all of that stuff kind of comes home and, and as much as parents try to try to shield their kids from the impacts of these things kids pick up on it they're sensitive to changes in the climate and changes in the home and uh, you know that stuff kind of manifests itself at school um, we see I teach in high school so I mean we've seen things like you know disconnect and apathy and uh, you know, uh, absenteeism is up, and part of that is, you know, forced quarantines, COVID sickness. Um, we, we see the results of financial stress on those with, with less income, and uh, we're feeding more kids than ever, our class sizes are up, um, you know, the, the un, unreliability. A lot of people see school as kind of that stabling, stabilizing factor in their lives. And when school is unpredictable, if you've got an unpredictable home, then you know all kinds of behaviors show up. Um, we've seen increases in vandalism in our school this year for, for some reason, even though our school is great. Um, but kids are acting out, and sometimes they don't even know why they're acting out, and it and it's and it's creating a, a difficult situation at, at school. So you know, part of it has been COVID-related, uh, and another big part of it has been kind of the lack of support um i feel like the lack of support from our from our provincial government um you know and we were supposed to get all these N95 masks <laughs> the masks that we got at our school were a week late and they're the same disposable crappy paper masks that you pick up from Costco and you know it, there's just been uh it's just been a big disappointment from our government we ha- we also have all this other stress from actions that the government has taken while we're dealing with the pandemic. you know much like the doctors that got their they got their contract ripped up in the middle of a pandemic from the government like who, who does that? So you know we've had uh, I don't know all kinds of <laughs> we get a new curriculum dumped on us that we didn't have a proper input into. We've had uh, we have no contract. Um, they've they tried to take control of our pension. uh, They're have actively now trying to remove principals and superintendents from our union, so we've got all this unnecessary stressful noise in the background and, and it's just caused a, it's just, you know, that's running around in the background while you're trying to do your job and it makes it really difficult.
0: In uh, in a kind of a gut wrenching way, Darren, I feel like you could probably continue to answer my question for thirty more minutes. I mean, you're like, you know, you're like, and there's this, and there's this, and and meantime, Doctor Phil McCray's sitting here nodding his head because uh, Phil, I know that I mean this is all in your wheelhouse. You you've been conducting these uh, pandemic pulse. Surveys and, and these are some of the results from your most recent one. This is the sixth pandemic pulse that the ATA has completed, talking to about 1,200 random Alberta teachers from K to 12. 37% of them, as referenced, say that they won't return next year. Of those 37%, 16% say they'll retire within the year. Uh, 14% say that they will pursue another occupation, In other words, not quite ready to retire yet, so to speak. And 7% say that they intend to attempt to, at least anyway, teach in another province.
3: Phil, would you take us into these? Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having us. And I just want to say to Darren... Um, You know, you're a hero of the pandemic, like all of your colleagues and teachers every single day getting out there with all of this unnecessary noise, as you say, uh, in the background. um, I'm incredibly proud to uh, have been a teacher in Alberta and watch what our colleagues are doing uh, with this pandemic. And it's, it's really heartbreaking, Ryan, because when we take a look at this data and when we take a look at the surveys we've done, they are official, they are scientific, they're all random stratified samples. Uh, anywhere from eight thousand teachers to two thousand teachers um, that we've uh, that we've uh, pulled and and uh, conducted, you know several research studies with. And I think what's what's really happening deeply inside the profession of teaching is an erosion, an erosion of the resources, an erosion of the supports teachers feeling abandoned, like coming back in the fifth acute wave of the Omicron uh, virus. They don't feel like they have the masks or the rapid tests. Uh, Class sizes have ballooned this year. Complexity of cognitive needs, complexities for all kinds of uh, behavioral things that are going on in classes. What we're seeing right now, um, Ryan, without question, is a crisis in our K-12 system. And that crisis is manifesting itself with people saying, look, how long am I going to keep doing this, right? Amazing teachers like Darren, who are beloved in their community. And I know Mr. Gibson, um, I know how well-respected he has been in Lethbridge for years and years. And, you know, this is a blow to the whole community when people like Darren say, I'm out, I'm peacing out, you know, two years ahead of when I should go. And probably, Ryan, most disturbing for me are the people who say they're leaving the profession of teaching. Yeah. Because this is, this is what we got into it for. You know, we love our students. People show up every single day for their kids, and they are sacrificing incredible uh, things right now for their families and for themselves. But, you know, 14% saying that they want to leave the profession and another 7% saying that they're out of Alberta, right? Much like the hundreds of doctors that are making an exodus out of Alberta. You know, this is, I mean, I'm a ranch kid. Six generations from outside of Pinter Creek. I don't want to see teachers leaving small communities. I don't want to see teachers leaving the big city. This is something that we have to really attend to because we are in a crisis in our
0: system. Phil, I want to ask you in a little bit about the impact, the, the forecasted impact that this will have on the quality of education and, and the stress that the, the teachers that remain uh, will feel, no doubt. But, but let me ask you this, Darren. I mean, I know that, that teaching is certainly a calling. I've seen it in my own personal life. My, my grandpa was actually the, the chairman of the Calgary Separate School Board, the Catholic School Board, for several years. And his three daughters, including my mom, all three daughters went on to have careers in teaching. Uh, i know that people are very proud to be teachers and oftentimes they see their parents do the job they want to do the job and then they want their kids to do the job how about your kids i mean they're in your school right now what if your kids told you they wanted to follow in your footsteps and teach what would you say to them
2: well i actually have an older son who's 29 uh he about 10 years ago he's like dad i'm thinking about being a teacher and i'm like i think you want to think a little
0: harder <laughs>
2: i think you want to think a little harder about that one uh, But kidding or serious are you
0: serious Pardon me. Are you are you kidding or serious?
2: No, I'm serious. Mm. Uh, he would have been an excellent teacher. He's fantastic with kids. Um, I, I just I, as a as a as a career right now, I, I feel for the new teachers that are coming in because uh, the the complexities in our classroom now are unlike um, unlike they've ever been. When when I look in my in my classroom now, the class numbers are bigger uh we have we have a lot of people who are new canadians and so there's multiple languages uh in the classes and they they bring fantastic uh diversity to our classroom in fact i actually i live in Coldale, which is a bedroom community to lethbridge and i love my school so much that i brought my own grade 10 uh, my own kids to the school because i want them to experience the rich diversity in our in our classroom but uh, but to recommend someone go into their profession right now uh, It's tough. It's it's tough to say, yeah, I think you should do that. And and it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because, you know, children are our most valuable resource and and it's painful to see that uh, we don't get the support that we need.
0: I mean, listen to this on our on our live chat. Uh, Corinne says this is so true. Kids are a barometer. Uh, for sure. Tanya says between the curriculum disaster and dumping pandemic problems on schools, how could educators feel supported or valued? James is expecting a huge amount of healthcare professionals, teachers and other frontline workers to move on when this is all done. He says we've treated them like crap. Uh, I, James might be onto to something subtly there. You wonder if if a lot of people are saying I mean, like even you, Darren, you're saying, you know, you're, you're sticking out till the end of the year. It's not like you're walking off the job others are saying, you know, Marie says the government just hasn't supported teachers or healthcare workers, it's beginning to show as they leave their professions. Kathy says heaven help us if teachers and healthcare staff ever decide to walk off the job, it would be completely understandable and we'd be screwed. So Phil, what are the implications? Like I would imagine when when Sarah, our show's producer says to me that, you know, she's crunching these numbers, taking a look at what the ATA is providing here and 37% say they're leaving. I'm going, "What?" Thirty-seven percent. I mean, if it was ten percent, that would be trouble. What does thirty-seven percent mean?
3: Well, I mean, first of all, you know, these are sentiments, right? These are people where they're at. Darren um, has has made that decision. There's other people who, when they say they're going to retire, we'll see what the numbers actually look like. We're going to do a follow up at the end of the year. We're gonna we're going to do exit interviews with people to see why they've left and what they're thinking about in terms of leaving. But, you know, one of the things, Ryan, we did in all seven of our pandemic pulse research studies, this rapid research study, we used a Centers for Disease and Control and Prevention, CDC scale on anxiety and depression. Mm. Um, I worked with Dr. Lenora Saxinger, who's uh, a good friend and colleague of mine, to develop a scale around, you know, personal protection, public health inside schools. And what we're seeing in terms of the dial turned up to nine in terms of fatigue, stress, anxiety, is people are starting to feel hopeless. And that's for a profession like teaching, when you ask what are the implications, um, you know, we teach for the future. That's why teachers actually teach is for young people, the next generation to help them flourish from from one group into the next. And when people who are in that uh, sacred kind of trust in a society start to feel hopeless, that really concerns me. So one of the things that we're going to do in the profession is we're going to look at hope. We're going to look at resilience. We're going to look at what things Uh, We can do to help keep people like Darren in for another two years, help new or beginning teachers want to become part of the profession, which is a great and wonderful profession. But, you know, in terms of implications, um, I think that at this point, uh, just even having the conversation of education on your show is appreciated. People feel abandoned, right? They feel that they're left out anywhere in human services. And one of the things that we have to do is give them a voice. Let people like Darren speak their truth and really start to understand how can we improve those conditions of practice? How can we help them really help their students? How do we put all of our energy into that front line of teachers, just like we need to do with healthcare uh, or anybody in human services right now?
0: Well, Phil, check this out. I mean, the, the whole sort of you are not alone idea. We see it evidenced in correspondence with the show, right? Like, like this one from Kiersey, who says, I mean, she shares the numbers of this poll, of this survey, the, the pandemic pulse. And she says, holy crap, this makes me feel much less alone. Uh, she says, if this doesn't show how Alberta teachers are doing right now, I don't know what does, uh, which is interesting. I guess maybe is it fitting to say misery loves company? Maybe the the, the optimist would say that there's strength in numbers, uh, you know, knowing that you're not feeling alone here. Darren, is there anything? I mean, I would imagine, you know, you, you're in the autumn of your career, right? You know, 32 years on the job, but you're not 80. Is there anything that could change your mind? Is is, is there something? Is there a step? Is there a statement? Is there action that you could see from the education minister uh, from this government that, that might have you say, you know what? I'm going to walk this one back. I'm not quite done yet. You know, are you the Tom Brady of Lethbridge teachers? Could Could you consider coming back?
2: No, the Tom Brady of Lethbridge Teachers was a guy named Greg Wolcott, Ooh. who actually, uh, he retired, I guess it was two years ago. He, he had about 40 years in uh, at Winston Churchill High School. He's just a legend there. He's the GOAT. Okay. So that's, that's not, that's not going to happen. Um, no, I, I've made my decision. You know, part of it was I, I, I got COVID myself. I'm pretty sure I got it from one of my students in the classroom back in October. And it, it put me down pretty hard. Uh, I lost my whatever, my sense of taste, and at brain fog. And I'm still, you know, four months later, I'm still struggling with memory a little bit. Um, I'm still struggling with fatigue, and uh, I'm trying to figure out, okay, is that is that age? Because it could be. Is it is it uh, long? You know, a mild form of long COVID, or is it stress, or? Some combination of each, but I'm exhausted, man. I I, I am I'm just exhausted, and uh, my worst fear for my entire career is to be that guy, that teacher that stayed too long, and uh, ends up, you know, being not effective. And I always promised myself that I would that I would pull the chute and get out uh, before I became that guy because I, I respect teachers enough and the work that they do that um, I'm not going to put myself ahead of. You know, uh, ahead of the ahead of the kids. Okay, so I just like to say I'd like to say one more thing, please. You know, we we definitely see uh, gaps already in our kids' learning. I mean, and and to pretend otherwise is just ridiculous. With all the instability, and we're in school and we're out of school and we're delaying a week. There's gaps, and these gaps are going to need to be filled and addressed. Long after the the, I mean, hopefully, COVID's going to be no, not be much of a thing anymore, or become very manageable. But there are kids that have missed out on on chunks of their education, and and uh, I'm really leery of. Okay, it's over now. Everybody's fine. Everybody go back to normal. No, that you're going to have to make. You're going to if you want to redress these issues, you're going to have to make an investment in remediating them. You know, and and helping these kids along a little bit. You know, when, when we do things like cancel, uh, diploma exams, I'm super supportive of that this year, but my grade nine students are going to write a PAT this week. What the hell does that serve? You know, they, they, what's
0: that the performance test? Forgive me. It's, been uh, it's, a, while. it's
2: a provincial achievement test. Right. They, we, right. They do them in grade nine and then they measure them up. And I mean, uh, I guess they're going to do them for some sort of statistical analysis, but my kids are terrified of this test.
0: Sure. <laughs> right? I remember, you and know, the the former uh, mayor of uh she's now chief of staff to Edmonton's mayor, by the way, Lisa Holmes wrote a note in uh, to the show a while ago saying, uh, she says she's concerned her her kids, her, her you know, children are, are high school age, getting into high school age. She says with cancellation of diplomas, it could be the right decision or not. I wish I had Lisa's message in front of me so it could go verbatim. But her concern is that her, uh, you know, her kids, as they, come into adulthood, most especially post-secondary age, will lack exam-taking skills. I mean, there's a, there's a certain understanding of how to take exams, of how to prepare for exams, of how to perform during the exam time. And I know that that's a concern that Lisa probably shares with thousands of other Alberta parents.
2: Yeah, I, I guess there's something to it. I've never been a big believer in standardized tests. I mean, mm-hmm. you're pretty successful in your career. When was someone? When was the last time somebody sat you down and said, Here's a test. I always
0: like to tell kids 57 percent in math 30. You don't you know, you don't you don't have to go straight A's every single time to find your way.
2: Tests are a measure like any test is a measure of one person's performance on one day. And uh, I I think that, you know, evaluating a, a student or anyone over the course of a semester is a much more accurate Evaluation of their ability than how they do on one test.
0: Phil, right? I'm going to have uh, to... I, 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 we, we've got another uh, interview coming up with Ben Friedman We're talking about International yeah. Holocaust Remembrance Day. So I, I, I know that based on Darren's laundry list, and I say that with respect, I say, what are the reasons you're leaving? And he's like, how much time do you have? Um, you know, your answer could be equally as long. But but let, why don't we just go in this direction? What could the education minister, Adriana LaGrange, or the premier, say or do right now to start to turn the tide, what would be a great first step to send a message to Alberta's teachers?
3: All right. So let me, I'm going to give you three things and I'll give them to you straight up. First thing is school safety, right? People need the personal protective equipment. Um, we need to make sure that class sizes aren't 42 kids in a chem class. Um, and that we have the supports to help with all of the diversity that the teachers are facing. Right. Um, don't ask principals to do seven or eight hours a day of contact tracing uh, with Uh, COVID, right? I mean, let them be instructional leaders. So school safety, number one. Number two, uh, student learning needs, right? We need to have uh, support to engage our students. There there will be, as Darren said, curriculum gaps. So let's get rid of the high stakes testing and let's focus on that deeper learning, right? Let's also really look at uh, vulnerable populations because we're going to see more and more families that are struggling post-pandemic. And finally, third, probably the most important right now is well being. Um, you know, I sit on a board at Harvard Medical School, all with doctors, and they talk about a mental health pandemic that's coming, right? We've had chronic issues in our society with mental wellness uh, generally, but we need to get a really serious focus on schools for teachers, students, school staff, communities around mental health supports, um, focusing on relationships, not the tests. Social-emotional learning and from a lot of my colleagues who are in the lower elementary grades, really focus on play, right? Physical activity and play. So school safety, one. Number two, making sure we have the resources and supports to support teachers for student learning needs. Number three, well-being, because we probably will be moving into a mental pandemic after this.
0: Did you just say you sit on a board
3: at Harvard? Harvard Medical School. Yeah. Oh Harvard the Medical Digital School. Digital Wellness Lab. Yeah. I, I I probably
0: could have included that in your in your intro. I mean that that's that's a bit of a trump card, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> that phrase has been ruined for me. Trump card. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> Dr. <Shame on> you. <laughs> Dr. Phil McRae researcher uh, with the Alberta Teachers Association adjunct professor with the Faculty of Education University of Alberta and a big deal at Harvard Medical School Darren Gibson Mr. Gibson uh, I hope and I have no doubt that you shall be toasted in many ways and uh, your career and contributions celebrated uh, as you make your way through the the, the final number of months uh, with regards to your teaching career look forward to seeing what's next for you Uh, I hope on behalf of everybody who's going to hear and see this interview, that you have a chance to, to recover and to relax and to recharge. You deserve it. Uh, thanks Thank for you. sharing part of this special day with us. We appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Thank you, Ron.
0: It's a special day in that we salute his contributions. It's uh, certainly bittersweet, though, the reason why he's leaving. Not necessarily. I mean, he is leaving on his own terms. He didn't get fired, but certainly not under the circumstance that he'd love to see, I'm sure. You can share your thoughts with us. Our live chat has been humming. Uh, Through this conversation, I don't even know where to start, but I mean, people are really uh, strongly indicating support for students and for teachers here, you know, talking about, you know, how how they feel about that shocking statistic. 37 percent of teachers now. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm not going to say that 37 percent of teachers right now will not be there again uh, around Labor Day. To kick off the next school year, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't blame a bunch of them saying I'm considering leaving. I'm thinking about leaving. I feel like leaving. Even that should be an eyebrow razor. If you're an employer, you walk up to your employees and you say, how are you doing? And a third of them say, I'm thinking about leaving. That would be shocking no matter what your business is fatima says there's also been a pay freeze for the past number of years teachers don't get paid enough to deal with literally life-threatening conditions bruce says teaching both in schools and adult ed can be stressful very tough over the long term education is suffering from kindergarten to teaching adult outdoor education uh, you know i mean runs the gamut look at this alberta's former energy minister chiming in mark mcquake boyd good morning to you she says i was a teacher during the klein years and those students suffered I mean, look at me, 57% in math 30. I put that squarely at the feet of Ralph Klein. No laughing matter, obviously. Sometimes we laugh so we don't cry. Speaking of education, continuing education, adult education, how about Athabasca University, Canada's online university? We're going to be telling you in the months to come about some of the amazing, not just the programs at Athabasca, but a lot of the research that's happening there. Did you know that Athabasca U is one of Canada's top research universities? unbelievable stuff they're doing really we're we're gonna be digging into some of their findings results i mean and we're talking scientific sociological really interesting stuff the energy economy and a whole lot more au can work for you regardless of what your schedule looks like or the amount of time you're able to put in whether it's a couple hours a week or 40 plus you can design a program or a plan that'll fit your schedule it's a schedule that suits your lifestyle via athabascau.ca We've checked in with our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy to ask him how the hiring blitz is going. Jake says to me, we, we, he says, this is amazing. Our, we're actually going to be hiring more people than we first anticipated. He says, so for your mentions on Real Talk, you can increase the numbers. He said, we're we're actually looking at hiring up to eight journeymen and 20 apprentices. These are installers doing solar projects based out of either Edmonton or Kamloops, B.C., they're working across western canada right now he says you know for right now we're looking for four journeymen like right now and 10 apprentices immediately plus sales staff too if this feels like a great time for you maybe you're looking at doing something new maybe you have you know journeyman skills or maybe you're just interested in getting into it they're looking for good people on their team you can check them out online right now at kubienergy.ca. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, Ben M. Freeman on Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People. That's his book. It's International Holocaust Remembrance Day on the 27th of January. We're going to find out what Jewish pride is all about. Our, our top talker today, so to speak, is this Truckers for Freedom convoy. This truckers pulling their big rigs across the country, meeting up in Ottawa, trying to send a message about Uh, Canada's policy right now at the border not allowing unvaccinated truckers to come through they assert that it's unfair that it's discriminatory and ultimately that it's going to hurt Canada's supply chain Uh, keep in mind the Americans do have the same policy our unofficial unscientific Twitter poll has uh, about well 3,986 votes as we speak right now doing this live Uh, the numbers really aren't changing about 81.5% of respondents say you don't support the convoy about 11.5% say you do about 5% of you say, I have no idea what's up. And others of you are leaving a comment. 2% of you have said, I I don't really fit into the box, man. Uh, Steve says the last time they convoyed, it was because they were saying that the prime minister Trudeau's policies were destroying the oil industry. Now the oil industry is enjoying record profits and not a peep out of the convoy. Uh, So it's time they're set up about what? Needing to get vaccinated, something that's their choice, steven says it's all a grift sponsored by the maverick party greg says this is all on the premier jason kenny this weekend he chose to support the unvaccinated truckers instead of any number of a hundred other higher priorities jay says it always shocks me how many people can afford to not work just to be loud and hang out with their loud buddies thank you to the majority of truckers who have listened to the science who got vaccinated who are working harder than ever Sam, why don't we call up that statement from the Canadian Truckers Association? They they basically said listen, the majority of truckers are vaccinated they went on the record and and, and now I've seen some people. It, it's interesting. I mean, this is how this goes with these types of uh, divisive displays. Uh, people are alleging that this is a, a, a liberal front, that this is a partisan organization. Uh, per the Canadian Truckers Association, Canadian Trucking Alliance, I should say yesterday, quote, the vast majority of the Canadian trucking industry is vaccinated with the overall industry vaccination rates among truck drivers, closely mirroring that of the general public. It's about 85 percent. And so accordingly, per this statement, most of our nation's hardworking truckers are continuing to move cross-border and domestic freight to ensure our economy continues to function. The Canadian Trucking Alliance does not support and strongly disapproves of any protests on public roadways, highways and bridges. The CTA believes such actions, especially those that interfere with public safety, are not how disagreements with government policies should be expressed. And the statement goes on. You can find it online at cantruck.ca. I've seen some people making interesting points. Wondering if whether or not those supporting some of the blockades we've heard about. Now, what I have witnessed, what I've observed, and by all accounts, the truck convoys continue to move. But some people are reporting that the truckers have been taking up both lanes, ensuring that people aren't passing the convoy, which can serve as some annoyance. I'm not taking a position on that in particular, except to wonder if the same people that would support the truckers blocking highway lanes would also support, for example, indigenous blockades on rail routes and highways as well. If you're cool with one, I suppose you should be cool with the other. If you're not cool with one, then perhaps that policy should hold true across the board. You know, you can send us an email anytime to talk at Ryan Jesperson.com. That's what Lori did. She says, I personally think that these truck drivers are barking up the wrong tree. They've had 22 months to get vaccinated. The majority have done so. The Americans also have this stipulation at the border. It's definitely not our prime minister's fault. I'm angry at Alberta's premier for mentioning that he's behind this. It disgusts me says Lori, as a person, quote, who works in hospitality and is triple vaccinated and has to wear a mask and enforce the rules in place by the UCP, Kenny government that from Lori Tom says to say I have no sympathy for the anti-vax truckers is an understatement. We see the choice they're making to travel and party, bringing the risk of disease to every gas station and restaurant along the road. When that waitress or waiter's child is in the ICU, they'll be celebrating with a beer at a pub in Ottawa. Sympathy and tolerance are not how we need to deal with this convoy and to hell with any political party that backs their poisonous agenda. Signed off, disgusted in Alberta, Tom out of Lethbridge. And this one from Donna, who says, I actually don't think truckers have a lot of interaction with other people. It's always struck me as somewhat of a lonely occupation. My thoughts on getting the vaccine are sure they should, like everybody else. But I don't think that the need compares to public servants whose job is actually working with people. Donna says, I think the whole protest is to raise hate against the prime minister and the fundraising behind it will make some people rich. But I wonder if any money will actually reach the truckers themselves, says Donna. I would like to believe most truckers are vaccinated. Happy Monday. And she's right. Per the association, about 85 percent of them. You know, we see a lot of imagery, a lot of these protests uh, that invokes World War Two imagery, Holocaust type imagery, the Star of David, Here's a couple examples of what I'm talking about. And these are people at at vaccine protests, of course, that are invoking extremely powerful and you might say triggering imagery like this. This woman holding up a sign about vaccine mandates, calling it tyranny and wearing a yellow star of David with the word unvaccinated across it. What about this one? Down in the United States, protesting vaccine mandates with a swastika made out of syringes. And then, of course, there's this one down in Calgary, Alberta. Stars of David everywhere at an anti-vaccine mandate protest. And, of course, the imagery, that's Anne Frank. Our next guest is the author of Jewish Pride, Rebuilding a People. Ben M. Freeman, a Jewish author and internationally renowned educator focusing on Jewish identity combating anti-semitism and raising awareness of the holocaust he's currently based in hong kong where he heads up the humanities team at the harbor school and he'll be speaking this thursday that's international holocaust remembrance day in an event in partnership with the calgary public library ben welcome to real talk and thank you for making time for us today
4: Hi, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you today.
0: You know, sometimes segues just unfold before our very eyes. And there it is. Vaccine mandates, the star of David, the imagery around Anne Frank is the author of Jewish Pride. What feeling does that invoke within you?
4: I think it's really disgusting. I think that several things are happening. The first thing that's happening is Jewish pain and Jewish trauma is being appropriated. The Star of David was forced onto Jews. We we were forced to wear it in the ghettos, in the places controlled by Nazi Germany. It was a way to mark Jews as separate to other us and to segregate us. And that obviously led to the Holocaust, the murder of 6 million Jewish people and the destruction of our civilization and culture. So the fact that people who are against vaccine mandates are utilising or appropriating that specific symbol is appropriating our pain and trauma. It's also taking part, I think inadvertently, but still it's taking part in the de of the Holocaust. So the Holocaust has become a universal symbol of morality that anyone can borrow from whenever they want. But the reality is the Holocaust was... As I said, the extermination of six million Jewish people, our civilization, our culture that took place alongside simultaneously other genocides and other crimes against humanity. So it's it's really disgusting. And it's particularly painful because a report came out just the other day. I I believe it was maybe yesterday or today. And I mean, yesterday, your today, your time. I'm ahead of you in Hong Kong. What time is it it in Hong Kong
0: right now, by the way? Is it early? It must be late evening, late night.
4: No, it's midnight. midnight 20 minutes yeah. past midnight on Tuesday. so thank you for doing excuse, this. Excuse me, my days are a little discombobulated, but a report came out and said that 2021 was the most or was the year that saw the most anti-jewish hate crimes in a decade. So we're seeing all of this you know appropriation of Jewish pain, the utilization of these symbols that were used to to harm Jews alongside the very real persecution that Jews are still experiencing
0: interesting comment from carla who's watching us live on youtube right now she says ah yes privileged white people that never faced oppression that want to be oppressed truly oppressed people don't compare their struggles with other oppressed groups when you see Holocaust imagery, in particular, the yellow band, the Star of David, uh, the swastika—does does does it indicate to you? I mean, some of the photos we showed; these are relatively young people. Mm -hmm. These are people in their teens, in their twenties, in their early thirties. Does it indicate to you? I mean, as we approach Holocaust Remembrance Day, that some people really have no idea what it is they're saying or portraying when they invoke that imagery?
4: Absolutely, and we've seen this in you know recent polls in the United Kingdom. Canada, I believe, and the United States, that fairly large percentages of people don't know that the Holocaust happened, don't have never heard of Auschwitz, believe that the Jews caused the Holocaust or believe that Jews exaggerated the Holocaust. So we're seeing all of these kind of either mistruths or misinterpretations or complete ignorance across the board and it's certainly happening among young people which is very frightening because you know those of us who are in the field of holocaust education we say we teach about this so that it never happens again but clearly something has gone wrong because the information that is being fed to these young people isn't being received. So, yeah, it's really, really harmful and it's really devastating. I mean, for many people, the Holocaust is this kind of academic subject or it's become this moral lesson. But for Jewish people, it's our families, it's our trauma. It's, it's really living within us. So to see it utilized so carelessly by people who also have absolutely no care for the lives of real Jewish people alive today is really, really distressing.
0: As I'm as I'm uh, reading through your your book here, Jewish Pride. Uh, if you're just joining us on the Mixler Audio app, we're talking to author Ben M. Freeman. You grabbed my attention with the very first words of your prologue, yeah. where you talk about what your late father used to say to you around the dinner table: "The non-Jewish world hates Jews." And then you go on to describe. You say, "I'm not talking about every person that's not Jewish, but but you talk about a bigger." picture you say this is much bigger than all of us the ideology the social norms the traditions that make up non-jewish society soaked with the poison of anti-semitism let's develop this
4: so you're yes that is exactly what i said and you're absolutely right it's not about individual non-jewish people we have many amazing non-jewish allies that we're going to recognize and really we appreciate but it's bigger than the individual non-jew just as it's really individual than the bigger Jew. than, than, you know, it's bigger than the individual Jew, excuse me. And it's about the way our societies were formed. If we look at the Christian world and the Muslim world specifically, these two worlds were formed in opposition to Jews. So ideas of Jews, and that's really important, ideas of Jews were used to define Christian and Muslim identity thousands of years ago. And that became deeply embedded within these societies. And even though, let's say the Western world, formerly you could call it the Christian world, the power of the church has been greatly diminished. It's been reduced. The, the roots of that ideology are still there. So it's, again, it's not about every individual non-Jew. We have many amazing allies, but it's about the worlds in which we live, the societies, the ideology. And they, as I said, were formed against Jews, and they're really soaked with this poison, which is one of the reasons it makes it so difficult to, to combat, because it's almost on the ground that we're standing on.
0: Ben, when you talk to younger people, I mean, I, I, I guess we could go through and talk about you know different generations or, or different demographics. But when you talk to young people, what are some of the conversations that you hope to kickstart? What are some of the things that you hope that people ponder around? Not just International Holocaust Remembrance Day, but but through the year, what would you like to put on people's radar, and what do you hope to accomplish with the book?
4: I think it's well. Like, I think if we're talking about non-Jewish people, I think it's to really encourage non-jewish people to be open to different perspectives particularly surrounding jewish people there are so many narratives about jews that are very prevalent in society you know one being for example that we're just a religious group now that's not true We're, we're not just a religious group we're a nation a people we are an ethnicity we can be called an ethno religion and i'm often told when i tell this to people yeah but you're just a religion so what i'd really like to encourage people to do is be open, be open to different perspectives and also have the courage to look inside yourself and to investigate your own bias. And again, if we recognise that Jew hate is something bigger than all of us, then it's unsurprising that there are going to be people with bias against Jews. That doesn't mean that they're bad people. It means that they have been socialised into a very specific way of thinking because they grew up in these societies. And because of the bias that all of us have regarding different groups, each of us have a responsibility to look inside ourselves and investigate that, because while it's bigger than every single individual person, each of us do have a responsibility. So a non-Jewish person would have a responsibility, as I said, to look inside themselves, investigate their own bias, to be allies to the Jewish community. And for Jews, our work is really developing and um Cultivating Jewish pride, but it's really that openness, that curiosity, that willingness to suspend your own misconceptions or preconceptions.
0: Ben, it, it, there's obviously a global awareness uh, around, you know, ongoing conflict uh, in the West Bank, and and obviously it's, it seems to me to be becoming more of a regular and mainstream talking point you see some political parties including the the federal new democratic party in canada a number of months ago talking about making a taking a policy stand uh on palestine and more and more people seem to be discussing this it's it's obviously a very divisive issue uh to what extent do you think that the current conflict uh in in the west bank the gaza strip is having on what we are talking about today
4: Well, I'd actually say I'm gonna flip it because it's the opposite. The conflict is driven by Jew hate and what's happening in the diaspora is driven by Jew hate. So in May of last year, there was uh, the war between Israel and Hamas. And I wanna also tell you that during May of last year, Hitler was right. The phrase Hitler was right was tweeted 17,000 times. And that was part of this grassroots uprising we saw internationally. And it is also deeply connected to the conflict. We've seen this throughout history. In 1933, the Nazis came to power and there was a grassroots uprising from the um, German populace. It was grassroots. Then in 1941, when the Nazis invaded the the Soviet Union, what was then the Soviet Union, there was a grassroots uprising in Ukraine, in in Estonia, in Latvia, Lithuania. And what we saw in May was a grassroots uprising against the Jews. And and yes, we can say, well, it was caused by the conflict. No, the conflict was used as an excuse. And, And also the conflict is, firstly, is very complex, but some of the roots of the conflict are themselves really rooted in Jew hate. So it's not really the conversation. The conversation we should be having isn't about whether the conflict between Israel and Hamas or Israel and the Palestinians is causing Jew hate, is that how is Jew hate causing that conflict and also what is happening in the diaspora? Because Hitler was right, being tweeted 17,000 times in a month cannot be blamed on a foreign conflict. There was a grassroots uprising against Jewish people.
0: I mean, obviously, that's never acceptable, period, full stop put it in bold. I'll agree with you 100%. The watcher right now on our live chat says, you know, Israel does not inherently equal Jews. And I know it won't be lost on people that you're talking about, you know, conflict between Israel and Hamas. And many people will say, well, that's unfair or inaccurate framing of the dynamic or who's involved in this conflict.
4: Yes, of course, Israel doesn't equal Jew, and there's Jews who live in countries all over the world that don't have Israeli citizenship. But one of the things that we have to understand about Jew hate is that modern Jew hate treats Israel as the collective Jew, the Jew among nations. And the title of my um, event um, on Holocaust Remembrance Day is History of Hate, Ending Story. Because that is really what we want to get across. We want to get across this idea that this has been happening for thousands of years and it hasn't stopped and it doesn't show us any sign of stopping. And one of the most important things about Jew hate is that it evolves to fit the zeitgeist. So though it all shares the same core, in the Middle Ages, it's going to look a little bit different to the way it does today. So I'm not saying for one second you cannot criticise the state of Israel. Of course you can. You can criticise Israel in the way you would any country, fairly, but... Israel today is treated as the collective Jew, the Jew among nations, and that is the modern iteration of this ancient Jew hatred. And it is really important for people to understand that because people do get confused. They say, well, Israel is fighting this war. Why are people saying Hitler was right 17,000 times in May? And there is a connection. Firstly, because Israel is the Jewish state. Obviously there's about 20% of non-Jews who live in Israel. So it's not, uh, not every person in Israel is Jewish. But it is treated as the collective Jew. And I think that's really important that we understand that because all of the classic tropes that are applied onto individual Jews are also applied onto Israel. And again, I'm not saying we can't criticise Israel, but we do have to make a distinction between demonization and fair criticism.
0: Let me let me put this comment in front of you from one of our audience members, Fatima, who's watching this live, says criticizing the Israeli government and policy has nothing to do with Jew hate or religion or anti-Semitism. It's about settler colonialism. What would you say to her?
4: Well, I mean, I think what, what that person is doing is really manipulating the facts. First of all, the first thing they said is really reiterating what I said. It is absolutely fair to criticize the Israeli government in the way you would any other country. But this lie, this this trope that is kind of imposed onto Israel as as a settler colonial state isn't true. And it cannot be true. One of the reasons being because Jews, as I say in my book very clearly, are indigenous to the land of Israel. Now, that is proven without a doubt. And there was people are saying things like stop Judaizing Jerusalem. And it's like, wait, mate, I'm sorry. That's been happening for 3,000 years. There is this very purposeful attempt to strip Jews of our indigeneity. And that is, and, and that happens in some ways through this idea that it's a, Israel's a settler colonial state. You can disagree with policy. That's absolutely fine. But that is not what Fatima, that is not what these other people are doing. They're really calling for the absolute destruction of a country that does exist. And they're delegitimizing the right of the people who live there um, and who, by the way, have lived there for thousands of years? Jews have lived in Israel, the land of Israel, for literally thousands of years. So it's a complete rewriting of history.
0: Ben, the word does the word Zionist to you? What does the word Zionist mean to you? And and do you perceive it's quite a it's quite a uh... A polarizing word isn't it people you, you either are or you are not you either feel strongly about the state of Israel and and uh, and its existence uh, or, or as a Zionist obviously or or you have perhaps more of a flexible willingness to consider who you believe is entitled to this land let's
4: let's get into it please speak freely well you're either a Zionist or you're a racist I 'm going to be very clear on this and I'm going to be very clear Zionism is a Jewish concept. It is rooted in Jewish history, thousands of years of Jewish history. And it was also created in the modern sense by Jews for Jews. So therefore, we have to ask who gets to define what Zionism means? Well, it's very clearly Jewish people. Just as me, I'm also a gay man, I will not tolerate heterosexual society or heterosexual people telling me what it means to be gay or telling me what gay pride means. Each minority, each marginalized group should be entitled to define their own experience. So Zionism is, as I said, rooted in Jewish history. It was created in the 19th century as a modern concept in response to Jew hatred. And it is advocating for the right of Jews to have self-determination in their indigenous land. That's it. So to say that you're anti-Zionist is to deny Jews the right of self-determination and you could possibly say, OK, you can be anti-Zionist and not be a racist against Jews if you're against all states. And that's absolutely true. If you don't believe in statehood, then you wouldn't be for a Jewish state, which is fine. But we also have to understand the reality in which we're operating. People who are anti-Zionist are absolutely for statehood and they're for a Palestinian state. So, Which, by the way, so am I. I'm for the establishment of a Palestinian state because I believe they have a, they're there. They have a right to statehood. But you see me, I'm not delegitimizing the Palestinian right to statehood, but we see over and over again the delegitimization of the right of the Jews to self-determination in our indigenous land. So Zionism, we have to be very clear on. It is a Jewish concept created by Jews, for Jews, and all it means is to believe in the right of self-determination for Jews in their indigenous land. But we have to ask, why did it become so twisted? It was twisted by the Arab world and the Soviet Union, from the 1960s 1950s onwards who remade zionism who bastardized it and made it into something akin to nazism who made it um something that meant imperialism colonialism but there were non-jews targeting jews through israel through through israel as the collective jew and again if people want to understand zionism it's okay that they don't because there is a lot of misinformation out there but when you want to understand something I would really encourage you to go to the source. So if you want to understand what Zionism means, speak to a Jewish person. And I will say very clearly that non-Jewish people don't really have a right to define Zionism. It's a Jewish concept created by Jews for Jews.
0: Ben Freeman, our guest, Uh, let me ask you, uh... Disturbing trend in Germany, I think a lot of people are under the impression that the whole idea around never forget uh, in the context of the Holocaust and the extermination of so many millions of of Jews and other people, including gypsies, uh, the LGBTQ community, the disabled and others. Um, That it was so important and that the reason why we didn't see a resurgence of those sentiments of that poison, so to speak, in Germany was because there was such a commitment to education in German schools about the Holocaust. But we've seen a rise Uh, In white supremacy in Austria and in Germany, I mean, law enforcement. Uh, Check out this report in The New York Times, an elite German police unit disbanded over a far right group chat. There's a rise in far right extremism within the ranks of, of German policing. What does this say to you and how do you address it?
4: I think I think it's really tragic, but I also think it really actually makes total sense, given people's understanding of what we're dealing with. Again, I want to say that the title of the talk that I'm giving on January 27th is History of Jew Hate, the Never Ending Story. But that's not what people understand. So after the Holocaust, people weren't really interested in dismantling the system of oppression that is Jew hate. They weren't interested in dealing with Jew hate. They were interested in dealing with the Holocaust. The Holocaust was one instance of Jew hate. It was very, very catastrophic, but it was one example. The story of Jew hate did not begin with the Holocaust. It began thousands of years ago, and it's still being written today. So for anyone to really want to commit, really commit to dealing with the problem that is Jew hate, we have to talk about the entire story, which means going back thousands of years. It, of course, means talking about the different examples of Jew hate, In Europe, we have to talk about the fact that the Canadian government said one Jew is too many when discussing, you know, the the Jewish refugees and we have to discuss anti-Zionism and the complete erasure of Jewish indigeneity today because they're all part of the same story and only then can we really hope to dismantle this. Just paying attention to one form one, one manifestation of this hatred isn't going to change anything and we've seen that quite categorically it has not. We're living about 80 years after the Holocaust and we've just experienced the worst year of Jew hate in a decade. How can that be if people have learned their lesson they haven't learned their lesson but they haven't been able to because the focus has been on the wrong thing in my opinion
0: you can read more and learn more about uh, ben's advocacy his writing uh, at benmfreeman.com. he's the author of jewish pride rebuilding a people and at calgarylibrary.ca you can learn more about his presentation coming up on the 27th of january it's international holocaust remembrance day the History of Jew Hate, The Never Ending Story, a conversation with Ben M. Freeman. Thank you for joining us live from Hong Kong. We appreciate you sharing your perspective.
4: Thank you, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You can let me know what you think about what you just heard. We endeavor to have conversations that push us and that challenge us. Uh, I saw Sharon on the live chat being like, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around what some of these phrases mean or what this all means. Some of you pushing back, some of you agreeing. Uh, we endeavor to uh, obviously challenge uh, our beliefs and to foster conversations that don't always have to be where everybody aligns. That's not the purpose of this show, and that's certainly not the purpose of interviews like this. My thanks to Ben for making time for us. These conversations happen because we have sponsors that essentially you know join us on this journey of real talk and that includes the team at park power they're powering our hashtag seven days a week at real talk rj they're your friendly local utilities provider this is a great time of year uh, to go online to their website and compare rates what you're paying for electricity natural gas even internet they've got the variable rate the fixed rate at the first of the month those all reset you're never locked in Uh, This isn't the type of company that gets you with the aha small print. You can never leave without paying a big penalty. It's not how they roll. They know you'll be happy with their service, and they're proud to be building their base across the province of Alberta. You can learn more about what they're doing at parkpower.ca. I've been telling you about this Dodge Ram 1500 Longhorn that I've been driving. Sam, I have to sort of like really get the rumble there when I Longhorn, you know, It's, it's One of the nicest vehicles I've ever been behind the wheel of. It's absolutely stunning. Had a chance to take it for a road trip out to Jasper this weekend. Great on the highway. Lots of room with that crew cab. You know, they've got a better selection at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge right now than they've had in a couple of years, including the Ram 1500 new styles with purchase incentives you can view online. You can check out their inventory from the comfort of your home as well, or go see them at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Our friends at Friesen Brothers, they're always open at Friesen.com, open in 16 Alberta communities. And and this month, their feature, the Mike's Meal of the Month, I love that they do this every single month. This is Mike Loveson. He's the son of the founder, Frank Loveson, Officer of the Order of Canada. This family's been doing amazing work. Still family-owned, Friesen Brothers is can you believe it more than 65 years alberta grown alberta owned the mike's meal this month is the alberta pierogi pizza topped with thinly sliced alberta potatoes lots of cheese and then the perfect kick of cayenne pepper well every week we present in partnership with our research and strategy partners at y station our get real Question of the week. And this past week, uh, propped up, by the way, I loved how this synergy worked with our Real Talk Roundtable on Friday. Morality and sport. We asked you how you feel about athletes behaving badly, whether or not it affects your fandom, whether or not it affects how you feel about the team that may be adding a questionable character that can still contribute on the ice, on the gridiron, on the hardcourt, or wherever else. Let's get into some of the highlights of this most recent uh, question of the week. A third of you, 34% of real talkers believe that athletes are absolutely role models, which says to me that 66% of you say that they're not, which I think is pretty interesting stuff. Here's another one. Only 3% of Real Talkers say that you would unconditionally support a badly behaved athlete. Just 3% unconditionally. You know, these are the ones that are, you know, you're still wearing your Michael Vick jerseys. How about this one, Sam? 72% of Real Talkers, nearly three in four, believe athletes do have an obligation to speak up and shape the behavior standards of their sport. Isn't that interesting? Just one in three believe that athletes are role models, but three and four believe that they have to elevate the standard of their sport. That's a really interesting one. And here's another observation courtesy of our research and strategy partners at Y Station, we asked who's brought the most shame to their team or sport. Now, if you were watching or listening to our roundtable with Sirat Sohi and Tara Sloan and Bruce Arthur, you probably know that the majority of you chose Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong over Jerry Sandusky the serial child sex abuser and OJ Simpson, the double murderer. How about this one Uh, from Chris Henderson, the chief strategist at Y station. He leaves a note in our top sheets. Our Patreon supporters get a copy of the top sheets each and every week to their email inboxes. You can learn more about supporting us on Patreon on our website. Chris says the biggest surprise for him was that Mike Tyson continues to get a free pass two percent of respondents named mike tyson is the one who had most disgraced his sport chris says quote considering he is legitimately a convicted rapist i was surprised Here are some other comments that you left and we love when you fill in the blanks and take a couple extra minutes to leave notes here it gives us further insight into how these questions are resonating with you and exactly how you feel One of you said, fortunately and unfortunately, athletes are role models, particularly to youth in sport. Good athlete role models can be a positive factor in the development of children and youth, social justice and the like. Another one, you said, I don't think that pro athletes should be as admired and influential as they are, but they are. (laughs) That's why I applaud, says this audience member, Australia's decision to not allow the world's top tennis player, Novak Djokovic, into the Australian Open. You know, pandemic aside, the whole idea that athletes are entitled to special treatment and can get away with anything should be quashed at every opportunity. Any team that ignores bad behavior and has a winning is the only thing attitude is of no interest to me. It's interesting because most people would, I think, want their team to take the position that winning is the most important thing. The follow up question may be at what cost? Another one of you said players not doing the right thing can be just as bad as players doing bad things. For example, a captain of a team not being vocal about the unjustified singling out of a teammate by a coach is just as bad as if the captain committed wrong. But it's often overlooked. Another one of you said no athlete should be allowed to have their playing skill override their ethics. For example, hockey is a game. If we want kids to admire players, it has to be for what they do both on and off the ice. We've got two sports fans here alongside me which makes three for three on this team our three headed monster coming at you every single day Sam Brooks technical producer Sarah Hoyles the editorial producer um, I- I'm not so sure Hoyles about the idea that, that if we want kids to admire players it has to be for what they do both on and off the ice part of me agrees you know as a, as a parent or as a coach you'd want the kids to be able to admire athletes on and off the field on and off the ice but they always say never meet your heroes they're bound to disappoint you where do you land on this one
5: yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's unavoidable, unavoidable for for athletes to be role models. They they can't help it. It's it's just really interesting to me how people also pick and choose, like Colin Kaepernick or mm. uh, LeBron James, when they actually you know raised their voices and said, uh, you know, racism is not okay, and people said, just shut up and play your sport. Shut so up and dribble, like, yeah. Yeah. So j- to me, it's. Or Colin Kaepernick got, you know, like he doesn't play anymore. Meanwhile, you know, when he was the leader of his team, they annihilated Aaron Rodgers. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers continues, even though he's anti backs, to be able to play. So it's, to me, it, there's just a lot of contradiction.
0: You've given us so, a ton to think about right there, Hoyles. That was bump, set, spike. Nice job. Sam, you're a big sports fan. Obviously, a lot of athletes, pro athletes, role models, celebrities are going to let people down for off the field or off the court behavior. What do you make of the results of the survey? What surprises you or jumps out at you?
6: Uh, well, I mean, the biggest thing that surprises me and jumps out at me is that Lance, Ar- Lance Armstrong was named as having brought the most shame to his sport, which yeah. is, you know, I, my theory on that one is that it's recent. It's front of mind. It's something that we've we've seen within the last several years. He got stripped of his Tour de France titles. He's been, you know, he's... he's the recency bias. The recency bias, I think, is why something like an OJ Simpson or a Mike Tyson, it's so far back in our psyche. It's been pushed down so much by... Probably a lot of other egregious behavior that's happened so much more recently that we just tend to ignore it.
0: Yeah, I think Chris I don't Anderson. Know. Go ahead, Hoyles.
5: I, I, I just, I really feel like it's, it was actually in the sport that he was doing it, Lance Armstrong, and I know that it, like, in the panel discussion that we had on Friday, which was amazing. That was so um, good. Yeah, Ryan, you lined that one. Stop up. it. I was just, I was Stop just it. watching. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole point is that that was in the sport, and yes, it was a product of being in the sport. Everybody dopes, blah blah blah, just like in track and field and sprinters. But like the the piece around OJ Simpson, that's not that was not part of his sport. So that's where I think that there's that differentiation. Interesting. They're shitty people. Well, then yeah, OJ. Definitely takes the cake. Yeah, because I'm it. he gets that award.
0: Or, 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 I mean, and and again, here I hate getting into these comparative exercises, even though we're asking people to do it. Uh, but it's like, you know, what's worse you know killing two innocent people or sexually assaulting dozens or hundreds of children uh like i, I don't really want to sort of have to stack those up but i will say you're destroying hundreds or thousands of of—I mean, it's sexual abuse of a child to me um this is where people people oftentimes will say to me where are you a right winger jespo and i uh, crime and punishment is one um and it gets me in hot water with my friends that work in rehabilitation and counseling because i'm always the guy quite frankly that likes to see pedophiles thrown in general population to let the prison population sort it out um that's the kind of stuff justice ministers can't say and talk show hosts can uh but i'm a little surprised that jerry sandusky and that oj simpson were not ranked up where lance armstrong was uh, doping to win a tour de france to me is not as egregious as sexually assaulting children or murdering people but you i think have hit the nail on the head sarah but with regards to when people have to choose one answer on that multiple choice you're right lance has compromised the sport the integrity of the sport these other examples are people that simply brought shame to the organizations and themselves obviously uh, that's a really strong point this week's question of the week a uh, totally different direction uh, our friends at y station have put out a survey on sleep and we want to know how you take care of yourself your personal health it's easy to find you just uh, go to our website ryan you click on connect and then that's where you'll find our question of the week of course we'll review it early next week and we thank you for taking a couple minutes to check it out I wanted to get to a few more of your comments. Uh, so many of you have been chiming in on this uh, Truckers for Freedom convoy, and I, I really appreciate your feedback. We've been asking you, you know, do you support the convoy or not? We've got about 4,120 votes still as at the time we're doing this nine hours left. So if you're listening to this podcast in the afternoon, chances are you still have a time to, to chime in. Um, these numbers aren't even moving. As a matter of fact, it's getting a little bit boring right now. Eighty one point three percent now. Eighty one percent. It's holding strong at four out of five. Uh, Say that you don't support the convoy. 11.5% of you or so say you do support it. Look at that. It just bumped up as we're talking to 11.8%. You can always have an influence in the conversations we're having here. Uh, 5% of you say you have no idea what's going on. 2% of you have elected other. You just want to leave a comment. Like Edwin, who asks, Well, what is this supposed to accomplish? Shasta says, I've said it before. There are many smart, successful, thoughtful, capable truckers. Uh, These are not them. Uh, This small percentage of nincompoops takes up way too much oxygen. That is a word we don't use enough. Nincompoops. Uh, John says, I chatted with a guy today who said that these folks are fighting for our freedoms, and he was sort of clear on what the freedom entails, basically the right to not have to look after others. But he was completely unable to explain how trucks convoying to Ottawa would accomplish it. Andrew says their stated goal is to bring Ottawa to a standstill. It sounds to me like they want to mess with some critical infrastructure, and this is embraced by the so-called right. Renee says, I don't support it. It's a combination of manufactured grievance, grift, and misinformation that's been promoted by opportunistic politicians Uh, In the United Conservative Party, the Canadian or rather the uh, Conservative Party of Canada, the People's Party of Canada and the Maverick Party, politicians who get their misleading views amplified by a complacent media. DJ Chocolate Milk says protest is an important part of society at least they're not at hospitals this time spitting on cancer patients it's a good grift though kathy says if they don't want to get vaccinated that's their choice but then they'll be doing domestic runs instead of cross-border ones it's the same coming from the states too kathy's right the border policies mirror one another vanessa says my son got stuck in that mess the convoy coming back from skiing and jasper said the truckers were blocking other traffic from trying to pass His question is, what's the point if they still need to be vaccinated from American policy, right? Get vaccinated, get back to work like the rest of us. That from Vanessa. Dan points out that the U.S. and Canadian policies are similar. Says if you're a trucker, not willing to protect yourself, your families, everybody else you come into contact with during your travels, you should be fired. I wouldn't want you working for me. Jane says it's a grift and we've seen it before every anti-vax group comes together to make a lot of noise the media eats it up and it has nothing to do with supply chain or indeed trucking that from jane casey we'll give casey last word for now uh, says i was on highway 2 south of calgary i got stuck in this convoy i respect the right to protest peacefully even if i strongly disagree with the reason but it it did make me wonder a few things says casey Did the people who flew an upside down flag support those who kneel before it And number two, do these truckers support the highway blockades that have been uh, made by indigenous people in protest of treaty land violations, which are violations of actual rights? Overall, it made me angry. And it was a reminder of the dysfunction of our society. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but there's another one that I screen grabbed from uh, an individual with the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force profile photo. Their handle is CF18Handler. They say of the one hundred and fifty-eight service members we lost in Afghanistan, twenty-three who were friends or colleagues of mine that I participated in a ramp ceremony for, I burn with rage when I see these idiots with our nation's flag upside down. They have not witnessed how harsh the world is outside of Canada. You can send us an email anytime to talk at RyanJesperson.com. We'll keep our eye on the stories that are making news. Um Sarah Hoyles, of course, is, is always curious to know what else is going on. And, and there are some other stories, Sarah, that you've been keeping an eye on today. And these are ones that we want to make sure that, that people have on their radar. Whether or not we dedicate full segments to everything every single day, uh, you know, it's obviously impossible. But what are some of the other big ones that, that are on our radar?
5: Well, speaking of COVID and restrictions or, you know, safety precautions, depending on how you want to frame it. uh, In Quebec, as of today, big box stores, with the exception of grocery stores, um, people have to be vaccinated to get into them. So government of Quebec basically saying, yeah, if you're not vaccinated, if you don't have those two doses, you're not getting into Walmart. You're not getting into Canadian Tire et cetera,
0: et cetera. Wow. Walmart, uh, I would imagine, uh, may have something to say about this. Sam, you made an interesting point about this. You've got these, the so-called superstores, a lot of these big box stores that have what I guess would qualify as essential, like the grocery side. And then the yeah. non-essential on the other side could be a bit of a quagmire.
6: Well, I, I was thinking about, like, early in the pandemic, there were some provinces, Manitoba is the one that I can only really think about off the top of my head, where um, essentially the way that they enforced, like, essential supplies only is they blocked off shelves of, you know, novelty items in grocery stores, and you were allowed to get groceries, and that was it. And I don't think Quebec is going to that level, but I'm, you know, I'm very curious about the, you know, the position that a Walmart or a superstore or something that sells both groceries and lawnmowers
0: is, you know, kind of put in at this point. Yeah, Quebec continuing to kind of unapologetically lead the nation on some of these policies. Sarah, a conversation, I guess, coming up on 45 minutes or so ago with uh, those involved in the education industry. Thirty seven percent of teachers saying that, uh, you know, they can see themselves leaving the profession uh, before the start of the next school year. It's not just teachers. Uh, Interesting numbers. Um, What's this? The International Council of Nurses is saying what?
5: They're saying that there is a worldwide nursing shortage. And that is only getting worse because of COVID. And the biggest problem is that richer countries, countries that have more, you know, resources to be able to pay nurses and treat them, you know, <laughs> the best that they can offer are going to basically suck all the nurses out of other countries. So it's, it's an equity issue. It's a healthcare issue. It's a health issue.
0: I'm really looking forward to our Real Talk Roundtable coming up this Friday, where we're going to be Mm -hmm. talking about global vaccine equity. I think that's going to be a great conversation. We spend so much time. I don't blame people. You know, you you oftentimes are, you know, what's in your backyard is most relevant to you or it's most under your nose. Uh, We take a look at vaccination rates in our own communities, our own cities, our own provinces, our own country. Uh, But I'm not sure that we're having a, a, a deep enough conversation, at least not yet about global vaccine equity, and that'll be a really good one that I'm looking forward to. We want to recognize... So think, yeah, go ahead, oh, Sarah.
5: Well, I was just going to say that I, I think you know we talk about what's in our backyard and, oh, this is happening halfway around the world. How does it affect me? It, it doesn't. But really, when we've seen this pandemic and how it spreads, it goes from halfway around the world to our backyard. And so the idea that vaccine um, equity, making sure that everybody has access to the vaccine does affect
4: our backyard.
0: Very well said. That's coming up Friday. It'll be live at uh, nine o'clock ish we should say it a hard start that all, all the broadcasting professionals although all the strategists always say ish doesn't work very well i say yeah real talk's a little bit different people know what's up nine o'clock mountain 11 o'clock eastern on fridays is when you can catch our real talk round table before we get to one of our favorite uh, traditions every single week kick start your monday on the right foot with positive reflections uh, can we call up that tweet from crazy james on eden landscaping this was a this was a great one i have a bunch of stuff i want to tell you about eden landscaping but but this one's better than what i would come up with today i saw this on twitter shauna said i could sleep or i could obsessively try to solve a landscaping and pathway problem along the side of my house including the engineering part (laughs) james quite wisely suggests or you could contact eden landscaping if you're in and around edmonton this is one of the sponsors for ryan jesperson and real talk james that's five points for you. Sam, if you'd add those to the leaderboard kindly, the team at Eden Landscaping is ready to kickstart the process right now. Don't lie awake obsessing over how you're going to solve the engineering of your pathway on the side. That sounds like a nightmare. I mean, unless you're a side of the house pathway engineer, Mike and his team for more than two decades have been bringing outdoor spaces to life you can find them online at LandscapeEdmonton.ca. and a big shout out to our friends at the dairy queens of northwest edmonton and sherwood park the real talk deal of the month for the month of january is a buy one get one free offer when it comes to the take-home dairy queen treats the legendary ones the dilly bar and the dq ice cream sandwich we're talking about the dairy queens at palisades Nemo, newcastle our personal favorite, Sam Sarani, the Dairy Queen at Westmount, and, and Baseline Road. I was there the other day, the Dairy Queen at Baseline Road. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this. You know it's one of the top grossing Dairy Queens in Canada? The Dairy Queen at Baseline Road. Folks in Sherwood Park love their DQ, and who can blame them? Our thanks to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Well, every Monday, we want to launch you into your week feeling good, feeling positive. This is our tradition. It's presented by our friends at Kubi Energy. We call it positive reflections i wanted to start with this one of course the world mourns the loss of betty white uh, on not quite literally but almost the eve of her 100th birthday the legendary star passing away well actors and others for animals wanted to celebrate Betty White's legacy. And so in in honor of her life and her career, Joanne Worley and Loretta Switt uh, began a campaign on social media called the Betty White Challenge. Uh, Now, before it would have been uh, her 100th birthday on January 17th, by the way, the campaign took flight uh, despite of and in honor of her passing, originally intended to be a 100th birthday initiative. Uh, The charity where Betty White served on the board of directors launched a campaign asking for donations of $100 for Betty White's 100th birthday. Get this, $400,000 people used Facebook and Instagram to donate to the challenge raising an incredible 12.7 million dollars for animal shelters and rescues across the country. 100% of the pledges going directly to the organizations I absolutely loved that. This email meant the world to me. I loved this one from Dwayne who wrote in and he said, "Jespo, today's a pretty special day for baseball fans, for black people, and as far as I'm concerned for society at large. On this day 60 years ago, the great Jackie Robinson was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Dwayne says it's tough to put into words why Jackie Robinson is such a hero of mine and millions of other people. Not only was he a great athlete who overcame so many significant barriers in the world of sport, he was and is an icon of the civil rights movement and equality and representation in sport. Uh, Dwayne says, it's amazing to consider Jackie Robinson didn't play his first major league ball game until he's 28 years old. You have to wonder what he may have accomplished on the field. Had the world been ready to accept a black man as a pro athlete five or 10 years prior to that? I also recognize how many black and other minority players have had a chance to live their dream of playing pro sports because of Jackie Robinson and what he accomplished when he first suited up for the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1947. Dwayne says, I thought this was especially poignant. Considering last week's Real Talk Roundtable on morality in sports, athletes behaving badly in the rest of it, Jackie Robinson is an example of the sports world's absolute best. And today, I and many others honor him. That from Dwayne. Thanks, Dwayne. I literally just felt chills. I appreciate that email. And we wanted to wrap up this week's Positive Reflections, you, you may have seen this already, but this is one of the best little news snippets that I've seen in a long time. You know, the city of Toronto got hit with a snow dump just a ways back. And a kid by the name of Carter Troslow was, was well, he, he was trying to help out his own family and his neighbors as he was stuck at home, not ready yet to go back to school. <laughs> Check this out. This is amazing. If you didn't have a machine to help you move the snow, you probably found it a bit...
4: Tiring.
0: A snow day turned into a work day for Carter Trizzolo.
1: I really wish I was in school right now.
3: Trizzolo was clearing snow around not just his house, but also doing it.
6: For my neighbors, friends, probably people I even
0: don't know. <sighs> <laughs> Absolutely amazing. I love it. That courtesy of CTV. You can share your positive reflections with us anytime. Send us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Proudly presented by Kubi Energy. Coming up tomorrow on the show, January 25th. I can't tell you who's going to be on the show, but The Edmonton Elks will be announcing their new team president. The yet-to-be-named leader will join me right here after the formal announcement is made by the Edmonton Elks. That's coming up. Make it a great Monday, friends, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, editorial producer Sarah Hoyles, technical producer Sam Brooks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Tanya Franklin, Merchandise Operations Katie Cook Chivers. Website Design Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux. to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.